Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is your host, Valerie. Happy to be here with you and so happy to have you here with me, Nathan Hamaker. How are you today, my my friend and my husband? <laughs> I'm great. Compliment that... to, to call you my friend in addition to my husband. You know, that's, yeah. that's saying something. You would just, you just paused. I think you had to think for a minute. Well, I was, what? I was wanting to say my friend and then I thought, is that weird? And then I thought, no, I don't think that's weird. That's actually very good. You want to be a friend to your husband. You process that very fast. <laughs> so anyways, that's, that's that was the, the two second pause. Okay. We're here on episode number four of this series where we are talking about the church growth experience. It's called the uh, article that we are analyzing is called the end of growth. Or let me say that again, because I'm going to end it with a question mark. The end of growth. <laughs> uh, it's a Friday afternoon. We're in a little bit of a silly mood. The end of growth, fading prospects for Latter-day Saint expansion. And so if you haven't already been following along with us, I would I would highly suggest that you jump back to the last three episodes. This is going to be a six episode series, and we are analyzing this article that comes from the Journal of Mormon Social Science Association, and this article was published in 2022, just a few months ago. And a few of you all out there, listeners, sent this to us and requested that maybe we look at it and talk about it. And it kind of jumped to the top of the queue because Nathan and I both took, took a look at it. And it is, in fact, incredibly interesting. So many of you may know that we have talked uh, a lot about obviously various issues uh, regarding the health, the state of uh, the health of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And a lot of the focus has been on various issues that have to do with the theology itself and how that correlates with uh, the health or, or the concerns about the health of the Church. In this particular series, we are actually kind of taking a different angle, and we are looking at the health of the church from the perspective of its growth or lack thereof. And I think this is a fascinating series and a really interesting article. And so we are going to jump into the fourth segment of this series. And Nathan is driving on this one. So he has done most of the study in the organization and we will just go from there. Okay. So can I tack onto your thought real quick? Of course. Because you said we, we've looked a lot at how the theology has affected the growth of the church. Uh, this article is focused more on almost like administrative failures. If we were truly just a corporation, how, how would we do as a corporation with our policies, not our theology, but our policies? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what we've been we're touching on. And we've gone through a few uh, of the points already. In our previous episode, uh, we talked about the article touching on uh, problem number one, which was building from centers of strength, problem number two, which was fertility and demographics, and problem number three, uh, which was some problems coming up with our missionary service. So today we're going to continue to look at some of these problems and to try to touch on uh, more of the observations of this uh, David G. Stewart Yes. Let's, let's just throw out some huge, like overarching context. In the mid eighties, there were some sociologists that threw out the speculation through their research that the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was going to grow so rapidly that it was going to become uh, the largest growing religion next to Islam. 
Is that right? It's going to be a kind of like the next Islam. The, it's the next major religion to appear in the world since Islam. And so uh, some stu- some research came out in about 80, mid 80s, I'm going to say, just to keep it safe. And then some follow-up research from different researchers came out in uh, the mid 90s saying the same thing. And then what this team of scholars have done here in 2022, or in the article that they studied or that they published in 2022, actually studied what happened that has uh, proven to be the fact that this was not realized. Not only was it not realized, but uh, the church, in fact, has gone through a, a, a major shift in that not only is it not growing as rapidly as they expected, but it is actually falling off in its growth. It's not negative growth per se at this point, but a lot of their study spans from right around the turn of the century till about 2020. And this robust article is an analysis of what went wrong, or maybe I should better say what is going wrong because it's still actually happening. Yeah. And so some a lot of real-time observations, but historical observations and some incredibly important, beautiful data I think data is beautiful. I don't know. Is that weird to like throw those two words together? I think I think some good data is so important in helping uh, institutions or individuals, any kind of system, learn how to do better so that they can become uh, more successful and more helpful to their constituents. And so listening to taking notice of people that care enough about the problems of this institution, uh, these ought to, these folks ought to be honored and respected because their work is really, really valuable for those of us who care about this institution getting healthier. So, all right, there you go. That's all I've got to say for now. Okay. I'm going to take a drink. <laughs> all right. So problem number four that was identified by uh, David Stewart in this article is problems with member retention. Now you could write a book on this. And so we're just going to touch on a handful of points that he, he makes, but he says, for instance, Uh, In 2011, it was reported that only 25% of converts to the church internationally were active after one year and 50% uh, in the United States. So 50% were active in the United States after one year. I actually think 50 is is a decent number. Like that's pretty incredible, don't you think? It is, except when you again compare it to our cousin churches that we've been talking about. Sure. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists. Okay. I mean, if you compare it to, say, Catholicism, then, yeah, it's huge. I mean, mm. uh, and that's not a knock on the Catholic Church, but in comparing ourselves to similar types of churches, I, I don't think it's quite as good. And it's certainly not as good as we would like it to be. Right. Okay. Carry on. Okay. So this, this our church has also traditionally had success in keeping our youth active, uh, but that has been dropping off lately as well. So in 2014, a Pew uh, research study showed that 64% of youth who were raised Mormons still identified as Mormons. However, Reese, Jana Reese and her, um, the new Mormons uh, reported in 2020, a similar survey showed only 46% of youth raised Mormons still identified as Mormons in adulthood. So 64 to 46 between 2014 and 2020. And Reese added that the age of disaffiliation, in other words, the age at which the youth who are leaving the church is lowering. The median age is now 19. However, she does not say what the previous median was. She just said it's lower than it used to be. But apparently that that statistic wasn't 
quite as clear as it could have been. Well, this might uh, speak to social issues. And I would suspect there's some correlation. And this is just me, you know, offering my speculations. Uh, social issues uh, are, are very uh, socially conscious and conscientious. Uh, Gen Z generation and the, and the millennials, especially the younger millennials, are conscientious about the way we practice and preach, say, for example, uh, around women's issues sure. and uh, queer issues. Right. And I would also, I also think that perhaps there's, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say. I'm sure it was going to be brilliant though. <laughs> yeah. So as you're pointing out, there's kind of two different issues here. One is convert retention. And then one is the retention of our youth as they're growing up. And they're probably related to different issues. We're actually going to touch in a few more points on some of the reasons why convert retention might be so bad. Um, these, these rapid fire, uninformed baptisms. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, but the youth issue is probably what you said. The, the youth are more informed. Uh, they know what's out there. They know what's on social media. They know what's on the internet. And we cannot keep the wool pulled over their eyes anymore. And that's why we're losing more of our youth and we're use, losing them at a younger age. Um, okay. Anything else you want to add? No, no. I think what you're saying is really important though. Let me just reiterate. So a lot of what we're actually going to be talking about in this really for the the lion's share of the rest of this series actually has to do with the missionary program. But before we jump into that, what you're talking about is they're, all, they're still kind of saying, okay, these are the reasons why growth has not been realized as was anticipated. And a big piece of that is, uh, is that the youth are not converting. Oh, well, converting is probably a confusing word right here that in past generations, adolescents and young adults were more inclined to stay in the faith of their parents and they're less so nowadays. Yes. Okay. Okay. So problem number five identified by Stewart in his report is a decline in outreach. We've already talked a little bit about building from centers of strength and having this sort of um, uh, centristic view of the world, but, but this is kind of some interesting things. He says, although missionary numbers were in decline and then they spiked a little bit under President Monson because of the lowering age, they're, they're about to start declining again. He's like, but, but missionary numbers are only really part of the story. He's like, there's been a decline in, in, in street contacting and tracting. And this is kind of interesting because he says, look, the, the old white handbook and even preach my gospel discourage contacting and tracting. And he says, yet on average, missionaries only spend nine hours a week teaching. It, they often spend more time in meetings than they do in teaching. And while contacting may be less effective than nothing, what ends up happening is when nothing is going on, <laughs> contacting is better than nothing. And so you got, okay, yeah, working with members may be the most effective way to find people to teach. But literally, if we're spending nine hours teaching and more time in meetings than teaching, what else are we doing? Is it time for me to tell my favorite story about missionaries? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. I love this so much. So we actually love, I do, I, I'm not much of a cook. Um, anyone who knows me will corroborate this, but I do thoroughly enjoy feeding the missionaries. I just feel like they're so earnest and they just love God so much and are out there just trying to save the world and God bless them for it. And I think it's fun to have them in our home. <clears throat> and so a few years ago, we, well, we have sister missionaries now, which I couldn't love more because I did love my mission. 
And anyways, but this was before the sisters were in our ward and we had elders for many, many, many years. And of course we had all the, you know, we had all, all of what you might expect everywhere from, you know, real, you know, highly competent to wow, like not a lot of social skills, you know, the whole, the whole thing. But do you remember Nathan, when we had those elders over and it was in the wintertime and we live in Missouri, so it's cold. It's very cold in the wintertime. And we had a set of missionaries that were questionably, you know, not putting in their nine hours of teaching yeah, <laughs> and certainly not contacting, but we learned like definitely they were not contacting because one of the missionaries left his coat at, at our house and one week passed, two weeks passed, three weeks passed, a lot of weeks passed. And I remember seeing him in church many weeks later and I'm like, Hey elder, you left your coat at my house like that. It's do you have two coats? Like, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, sister Hammaker, thank you. But we don't really much need coats. Like we never leave our apartment. We don't go out in the winter. <laughs> this wasn't COVID either. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I thought to myself, is it all Facebook content? Like, what are they doing? Right. Okay. Sorry. I digress. But that was such an interesting story because you and I are, this is not part of the handbook chain. Like the 1990s missionaries, we were street contacting. Yeah, we were street contacting. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the thing that's funny about statistics is you say, Okay, street contacting is a less effective way to find people to teach. Sure, okay? yes. So they say, okay, you got to contact a thousand people before you find a quality investigator. Well, in our mission, many times we would contact a thousand people in a week. Easily. We would go into the very busy city centers of Oakland and San Francisco, and we actually would, in a week, contact five, six, seven hundred, sometimes a thousand people. Yeah. And so if we were finding one quality investigator a week doing that, Okay, now go the other direction. Sitting in your apartment for four weeks, how many contacts do you get there? How many invest? How many quality investigators come and show up at your door when you're sitting in your apartment? Zero. Well, I know that I've actually asked our uh, more recent missionaries about the thing that they're doing on Facebook. And I don't know if you were there, but I was like, so tell me, how does that work? How do you meet people on Facebook? And she said, well, we just basically kind of like, try to add friends with people that are like where we have common friends and then I'll just start trying to talk to them. And I had that sense of like, Oh, like you're one of those creepy people that, <laughs> that I will never respond to because I don't know you personally. And that's how you're sharing the gospel. So it bothered me a little bit mainly because I mean, I understand and I can respect that. Like that's the way people are, are meeting nowadays that, you know, social media ought to be utilized if, if it can be done in an effective and ethical way, but just sort of trying to, there's probably a word for this, but I'm not nearly hip enough to know what that was, but to just sort of try to start talking to people hmm. because you're, you have similar friend groups and somebody happened to add you. And that's the way you're trying to get a conversation where you then end up in their do you see what I'm saying? I do. So like, like when I friend my missionaries from my ward, they're now opening up my friend contact book and I don't know what's going on, but wow, it, that's what they told me within like the last six <laughs> months. And I was like, I, I said, sisters, I gotta be honest. That's a little weird. Like it's creepy. Yeah. And I said, what if, what if you got into a conversation with somebody and they invited you over and they were like a chainsaw murderer? Yeah. Like, do you stay online because this could be dangerous Yeah. or you could, anyways, it just, sorry, we're digressing, but it, it bothered me a little bit that tracked. I don't think our mission tracks at all. Yeah. 
in, in at least our mission. Am I right on that? I don't think that, I think that's like a thing of the past. I don't know, but, but he points out an interesting statistic. So they, he uses a, an example from a survey that was done in Europe. And he said that when asked only 5% of people sampled in, in Europe said that they had ever met an LDS missionary. Wow. But 65% said that they had been approached by a Jehovah's witness. So the administrative side, if we think about just growing the church and how the administration is handling that one thing, uh, pulling missionaries off of the streets, um, out of the public eye to where only 5% of people in a large demographic have even ever seen one. That's not a good, that's not a good plan for growing an, an institution or at least um, introducing people to the potential of becoming a part of this organization, whereas these other churches are you know, whether you agree with what they say or not is independent of this conversation. From an administrative side, the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing a much better job than we are. Yeah. And, and you can argue and say, okay, well, how can, maybe there's a better way to be more public. Fine. Do service, right? What if 65% of people of Europe had said, oh yeah, I've had an LDS missionary um, come to my school and read to my children, or I've had an LDS missionary that participated in a park cleanup with my community service group. You know, I, I think maybe what we're saying here is, is yes, it's contacting, but yes, there's also some visibility uh, of being out there and, you know, being known for doing good in the world. Well, and I think we were only allowed to do, I don't even know, four, four, hours. four hours of service yeah, a week. It was like, capped yeah, we at were, four hours. And that's so sad because I loved doing the service that we did in the San Francisco Bay Area. We were teaching English to people yes. from all over the world. Like we were doing genuinely valuable, beautiful, good work. Yeah. And we couldn't do too much of it. No, no, but that's the thing is like, okay, yeah. so we, I remember participating in this San Francisco reading program for inner city children called Camp Read a Lot. And I, we, we showed up and it went from like eight to noon and we, we read with these kids and we talked to them and the teacher was like so grateful. And then she's like, Hey, you guys coming back tomorrow? We're like, no, we're coming back next Monday because that was four hours, yeah. you know? And it's like, what if we had been there like every morning, every morning, all week, Yeah. you know, it's like, what if we had read for four hours with these kids every week? Those would be the same kids that in 10, 15, 20 years right? might've said, man, I remember some really cool um, LDS missionary taught yeah. me how to read when I was six and falling yeah. behind, but oh gosh. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for reminding me of that. So yeah, uh, that is kind of this idea, not enough outreach, not enough publicity, not enough being in the public eye. So uh, one other thing he mentions is goal setting. He says, you can set reasonable goals for how many people you want to talk to in a week. That one, of course, got thrown out. We now set goals for things around <laughs> how many baptisms we're going to have, how many lessons we're going to teach, and how many people will be at church. So the, the way the church works is they deal with something that they, they deal in something called key indicators, right? which is a very American corporate, it's a co-opting of a corporate America term, which is these are the ways that we measure success. And what this article talked about was that there was a period of time, or maybe it was just our mission, which is something we're going to talk about later, how there's like local things, but the key indicators that, that just focused on the effort of the missionary have slowly but surely gone away. Right. And the key indicators that have counted and continue to count to my knowledge are, are things that have to do with the way the person on the other side of the interaction receives 
the work that the missionary does. Right. So my my goals as a missionary are based on whether or not somebody else decides yeah. to take a discussion, come to church, or and accept a baptismal con- uh, commitment, mm-hmm. which is completely ridiculous, because it it pressures missionaries to pressure people. The one indicator you can control is how hard are you getting out there and working yourself? How many hours are you putting in? How many people are you talking to? But we threw those out. (laughs) You know, you might argue, though, that the key indicators, even from the side of uh, the missionary, are on some levels inappropriate, too. And I only say that from personal experience, Nathan, because, y'all, we lived, uh, Nathan and I, as you all know, served in the same mission. And we lived in the era of the clicker. How do you, how do you, what is the, what's there were, the, there were golf counters. Golf, I was gonna say, I knew there was like an actual yeah, there were stroke for, counters for golfing. And we carried those in our pockets and clicked every single person we talked to as long as we invited them to take a discussion. And meaning that if we were just being friendly and like Jesus, that didn't count, <laughs> but we had to actually as missionaries invite them to learn more about the church so that they could get baptized. And yes, we did. We did invite people to be baptized in every single street contact. Yeah. That was how we were trained, which is, that's another section that's coming up here in a minute. The point there being that, gosh, I feel like we're, um, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but so much of what we did as missionaries uh, really objectified human beings. Mm-hmm. You were um, a number yeah. and I needed to get X number of contacts to turn into my district leader who turned it into the zone leader who the event, the president eventually saw that really just had more to do with my getting that key indicator that meant I was working hard. That meant that I was a worthy human being. And uh, there was so much status connected to all of these um, outcomes and the indicators that led to the outcomes. It's a real conundrum, right? Cause I mean, I understand wanting to get out there in the visibility, but when we're, we're so focused on numbers that we cease to experience people as human beings a little bit. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. And it's a big deal. And it came up a lot in our mission for sure. I think the only key indicator ought to be how many service hours do you put in? Sure. How many hours, yeah. how much good did you do in the world? But anyway, point, point being is, is that uh, we're not being as visible as we used to be. And missionaries are not being asked to do as much. And probably some of the things that we could be doing more of like service, we're not doing enough of. And things that we can't control are the things that we're still trying to count. And what what we're going to be really jumping deeper into in these next couple of segments is so many more of the administrative failures of the missionary program. That's what a lot of this article really touched heavily on. Yeah. Hey, everybody. The Latter-day Struggles podcast began on a whim and has become my passion project, my vocation, and my full-time employment. As you might imagine, the content you enjoy is the culmination of thousands of hours of planning, study, production, editing, and other behind the scenes work, all in an effort to be a valuable resource to you, my audience here in and around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you feel that what I offer has added value, direction, and strength in your faith journey, I now invite you to financially support my work to help ensure that I can continue to offer you and others this high-quality content in the future. You can now make donations through my Patreon account, conveniently linked in my show notes at the bottom of each episode. Your donations, either small or large, 
one-time donations or those made on a monthly basis will help me continue to provide you with high quality, frequent, psychologically and spiritually sound content for your faith journey and for your willingness to support me. I offer you my most sincere gratitude. Thank you. Now back to the show. Hey, would you do me a favor? Hmm. Can you just quickly review problems one through five? Okay. Problem one, building from centers of strength. Um, Number two, fertility and demographic changes in the church. Number three is missionary service issues. Uh, And that's like number of missionaries going out. Uh, Number four is member retention. Number five is decline of outreach. So that's a problem with the missionary program, not the number of missionaries. Number six is the gerontocracy of the church. That means the oldness of our leaders. So we are the only major Western faith where leaders will serve until death, living longer with periods of incapacitation. There are questions about whether the leaders become out of touch and whether they are really worried about the concerns of the young people. For instance, he brought up, they may be out of touch with LGBTQ issues. They may be out of touch with uh, the homophobia of the church. They may be out of touch with the patriarchy that the younger generation has serious concerns with. Because of the gerontocracy, it seems to lead us to a place where the only thing that causes change in the church is loud protesting. Mm. They seem to be poor listeners otherwise. Now, again, these are their observations, not mine. And he points out that churches like the Seventh-day Adventist and the Jehovah's Witness have younger and more relatable leaders, which seems to influence their growth and outreach and retention of their younger generations. So one of the things that this article indicates, talks about is uh, a gentleman by the name of Greg Prince, who is a wonderful historian and researcher and has published and done a lot of good work here in this space. He says this, um, he observed that a top, let me just start that over. He observed that a power vacuum at the top caused by the incapacitation of the church president can put the entire church at risk of damage that might otherwise be prevented by a competent president. We have uh, close quote. Seen we, that recently. we have seen that several times, actually. And if you are, you know, if you even look at the last, say, for example, 50 years, there are um, a handful of examples of uh, presidents of the church who have been so old and, and, and ill and um, unable to perform their their duties. And it really causes a, a lot of complexities amongst those who are shuffling and taking over and trying to manage that kind of a complex situation. I was just reading uh, specifically about this yesterday in a book that I'm studying. And it really um, dawned on me how complex and complicated it is when we, because of the way the system is set up and um, and the death is the only thing that causes the the changing of the guard. And, and I've talked to a lot of older people who are going senile, have Alzheimer's, and they can speak very coherently oh, and then suddenly just go off the rails and, and they sound like they know exactly what they're talking about. And then all of a sudden they just start speaking craziness and you're like, wait, wait, you are senile. Okay. I get it. And, and so it re- you really get into some of these problems and trying to determine competency of leaders when when does the first counselor take over or you know it's 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 really complex and his point is no other major western church does this 
not only do they keep their leaders relatively young so we can be assured of their competency, but their leaders also are more relatable to the younger generation that they're losing. Well, and they might, like, I think you may have mentioned this, so I won't, I won't hammer this too hard, but they might have a greater sensitivity to the, the, to the important issues of the day. Yeah. Meaning that churches in general, not just ours, churches in general tend to be what one half to one generation behind um, most social issues in sort of getting up to speed, especially around issues of marginalization. And I think that's amplified by a gerontocracy. Yes. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's a problem. Okay. I think we'll wrap up there for today, unless you want to add anything. No, I think we should wrap up. Let's uh, just very, very briefly, if we may, we talked about, well, why don't you go ahead and just give us a big overview of what we went through and then just give us a little bit of a, a forecast for things to come in next episode. Okay, so the three points we talked about today were declining member retention, decline of outreach in the missionary program specifically, and gerontocracy, or the aging and longer lives of our leaders. Okay, so to close up, let me just kind of remind everybody what we're doing. We're, we're reviewing an article that talks about why the growth of the LDS church has declined so much in the last 25 years or so. And from this article, we have ferreted out approximately 10 points as to why church growth has declined. And it's not us. The author has ferreted out 10 subtopics, why the church has declined in its growth in the last 25 years. Okay. To this point, now we have covered six of those topics. The first one was that the church built from centers of strength. The second one was there were changes in the fertility and demographics within the church. The third point was that there were changes to the number uh, and quality of missionaries going out. We covered that in the previous uh, podcast. Today, we covered points four, five, and six. Trouble with member retention, decline of outreach in the missionary program, and number six was the gerontocracy of the church leadership. In the next two podcasts, we will cover the remaining four points. Uh, just as a little teaser, problems with the institutional dynamics, moral hazards and adverse selection, which we'll explain, and specifically the church's accelerated baptism program that they introduced in the 80s. Those will be the next three topics that we'll cover, and that'll take us through nine of the 10 points as to why the church growth has dropped off so precipitously in the last 25 to 30 years. All right. Sounds good. Thank you all so much for being here. And if you care to pause and write a rating and a review on this podcast, we would be ever so grateful. Also share this with your friends and loved ones. And if you're interested in any of our offerings, whether it be to join one of uh, the many groups, we have uh, one that has uh, some openings available right now, which are filling up and we probably won't be opening any more groups for several months. So if you've been on the fence on that, jump into that. Also, if you want one of the uh, two online courses that is in my growing catalog, you can find those also at latterdaystruggles.com. And if you want some coaching from one of my team or a couple of one-on-one -on -one consults with me, you can also get that at latterdaystruggles.com. Thank you all so much for being here and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Dialogue Podcast Network.